there was, uh, I appreciate, I, I had a few conversations here after the first session. I really appreciate them. I really do. Uh, and one of them had to do with um, the Neoplatonic uh, dualism and um, um, that, that can be, it's, um, you were talking, also you were talking about um, the Gnosticism, the dualistic Gnosticism where the spirit world becomes all-important and the material world is only necessary. And where, in fact, the reduction of the importance of the material world actually leads them into some major philosophical errors. No, and we're not talking about that. The, the, the spirit is, is what makes, what distinguishes us from all other creation. But it's equally important. Paul never said that he that Jesus took us out of this world to live in the heavenly places. He never said that. And in fact is in the writings of Paul we will see how our relationship in the spirit world definitely governs and affects the world, our material world, and the caution of how to not let the material world affect our spirit world. But not, one, not because one is more important than the other. Man is three parts. You can't separate him. Okay? He will be separated temporarily in the tomb. But he will be resurrected. And we believe in a body, soul, and spirit resurrection. God, and that's the reason why he mentions to sanctify body, soul, and spirit of the man uh, you will, we will have a glorified resurrection. Thank God for that. So if you don't like the body that you have, it will be glorified, but you might want to re- reconcile yourself with the body of God because I'm going to be able to recognize you and you're going to be able to recognize me. Okay? And some of us are tall and some of us aren't so tall and some of us are... Are, are slender and 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 some of us uh, well we won't go down that road okay yeah uh, but it's it's an interesting subject not to get it out of balance not to get it out of balance because a lot of dangerous material has come into the church and actually a lot of it has come out of the church for not having understood the balance between these. My issue is most of us spend most of our time focused on the material. And that's where I see that most churches have their danger. Okay? I'm not trying to say that we have to uh, be imbalanced on the other side. But um, most of us, I mean, I remember, I'm I'm retired now, for reasons that Danielle has made obvious. <laughs> uh, but I remember when I was working, I actually had three jobs. And, and several times I was a translator and, and an interpreter. I was a, a language instructor and a pastor. And so I, I, the congregation paid half of my salary, and I had to make the rest of it working. And this has been my whole life until I retired which I praise God for that opportunity. That was, that was fabulous because that's the way I got to know the Chilean culture and society and language and everything was living and working with Chileans. That was, it was fantastic. Um, but it was taxing, and it took a lot of my time. And so it's easy in a situation like that to where your focus becomes so material that you just aren't focused on godly things. And your godliness suffers as a result of that. And that's, that's my word of warning in regard to godliness. Let's, let's go on. Uh, where do these men of God originate from? Uh, this is, um, to me, a very, very important uh, topic. And Paul mentions in 2 Timothy 2.2 2, that these, uh, these men originate from godly relationships. Okay? The godly relationships within the the church uh, from examples 
As we've already talked about the importance, the examples set by men of value, men of valor, and men of stature. Uh, how do men learn to speak properly? Where do men of God learn to conduct themselves properly? How do they learn to live in love, faith, and purity? And the, and the relationships that are mentioned in this particular text are those things that form and transform us. Discipleship is not a system. It's a transmission of life. It's a transmission of life. It's not an option. We will be an example, for good or for bad. And these men are formed in, being, is in relationships with men who can not only teach but give the example. And that's why so, it is so important for us that everybody be connected. Everybody in our churches, house churches, uh, and our relationship churches be connected with somebody. This is not common where I come from in the United States. People do not connect, much less do they submit. It's just, I mean, uh, it's just a, a national mindset, you know? I mean, it, it just doesn't work. Um, and I think there are a lot of other cultures where that is the case. But it's not optional. Men of God are formed by men of God. That is the principle. And we need to take that back home with us and help others become the men God wants them to be. But there's an, while we're also on this, there's another, um, there's another aspect of this. Uh, Timothy had a tremendous upbringing Okay, and this is in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And I will also mention immediately 2 Timothy 1, 5, where these men of God are formed in the context of the home. Now, Timothy's case was a little bit different. His father was a Greek, apparently never was converted. We don't even know if he was alive at the time of the reception of this word. We don't know that. But Timothy's faith came from his home. And somebody would say, yeah, but he didn't have a father. But in the end, Paul states himself that he became Timothy's father. And that is exactly what Paul is doing in these letters. He's being a father for this guy. Tremendous. Tremendous. These men of God are formed in the home, in father relationships. And when there is not a proper father relationship, biological father relationship, that's where we need to be the fathers of the fatherless. We need to be the father of the fatherless, just like God is. God is the father of the fatherless. And we have that privilege. I think that's involved in that scripture where it says, be imitators of God. To me, it's so important that we assume the responsibility, and again, we can't allow those people, we can't force those people to walk in a vacuum of authority and responsibility. We need to fill that vacuum for them. Huh? That's where these men of God will come from. Relationships are so important. Discipleship is not an option. There might be different ways of doing it. I do it one way. In, 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 Santiago, in Chile, we have two different schools of thought regarding discipleship. In Santiago, we were born in, uh, as a result of the effect of Argentina in Chile. We were actually, I, I use a phrase that nosotros uh, nacimos en la cuna argentina that is to say we, we were born in the, in the crib of Argentina 
Okay, my personal spiritual father was Ivan Baker. Um, and after him, our relationship with Jorge Mitian and with uh, uh, Victor Rodriguez has always been very strong. That has been our input, and we do discipleship like they showed us. We work one-on-one. -on -one. And so even in the years that I was working uh, quite a lot, I would have discipleship meetings one-on-one. -on -one. I would meet with men early in the morning before work, which meant 7 o'clock in the morning because my classes usually started at 8. Or we would lunch together, or we would meet after. And I would frequently have three or four of these meetings a day in order to be able to reach all of them. Those relationships were so important. Many of those people are leaders today in the church with healthy families. But other people have other ways of doing it. From Concepcion y Cristian Romo, which some of you people know, they did their discipleship differently. They did it in small groups. And it was so important for them. And they also produced leaders. And they also produced men of God. The way of doing it is not as important as the fact of doing it. That's the fact of doing it. Okay? Okay. Uh, just quickly, because I want to change registers completely here. I want to change subjects in just a little bit. Um, but I want to just kind of go over some conclusions here. God has set... Um, has set us in an unbelieving world. He's placed us in an unbelieving world to show and tell them what God's man looks like. They will reject that model. Just like Paul said, Timothy, times are going to get rough. But don't forget the prophecies. They will keep you faithful, steady. They'll keep you on track. God has set us in, in the world to show the world, reveal the world, his person. Our job, I mean, I, I, and I want to be careful how I say this because I said something last year that, that it wasn't quite understood. We have the same mission Jesus had on earth. And part of his coming to earth was to reveal the Father to mankind. And we have exactly the same privilege. I use privilege instead of responsibility because it, it settles a little easier. We have the same privilege, the same mission. That's the reason why I personally think that the scripture in Hebrews, it talks about seek peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I personally think that that is not referring to no one will see the Lord in eternity. I personally think he's saying that if I'm not holy, nobody around me is going to see the Lord in me. Because to say that seek peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord in heaven is adding it's also an addition. It's an, it's an interpretation. It may be true. But you know, some scriptures have more than one application. We see this using, in the use of prophecy from the Old Testament, many times in the New Testament. We see Jesus citing psalms that if we go back and read the psalm, we'll say, how in the world did he get that? Why? Because scripture is alive and has more than one interpretation sometimes. And I allow in that text more than one interpretation. I say, yeah, if, I'm not, if I don't live a holy life, of course. When, when it's my time, I'm not going to see the Lord. I think that interpretation is okay. But I think it gives way to more possibilities. And one of them is, if I'm not holy, nobody Around me is going to see the Lord. That Lord, God is revealed to mankind as they see him in the lives of his children. 
And I think that's part of what our job is. When God's men are living according to the pattern set by their creator, and listen to this one, when God's men are living according to the pattern set by their creator, God's women will be able to be what God intended for them to be. I don't want to go too deep into that because they're not here to defend themselves or to, or to, or to fight back. But uh, the truth of the matter is, at least what my evaluation is of many situations that don't work well in the home is because the man didn't work well in the home. He wasn't the man of God. Okay. So, to be a man of God, we must be godly. Be an example, be pure, be self-controlled and focused, be firm and gentle. Pursue humble, mature, responsible, faithful godliness while retaining firm, sensitive masculinity. Be the, man, be the man God wants. In your home. And in your home. In your family. And in your marriage. In your church. And in the world around you. They all need you. They all need you. As a man of God. Okay. Okay, um, since I still have some minutes, I really, I really, um, we, we didn't have our, our get-together this morning, so I, I didn't have a chance to submit this, but I want, to, I want to close by something that I think is also relevant to this issue. Um, and, and, and if, uh, you know, like I say, I didn't submit this, but I think it's in the spirit of what we're, what we're talking about. No. Um, and it's a topic that I want to be very, very brief about because it's a topic that requires more decision than discussion. It's an issue that needs more action than explanation. But I want to talk about God's love for the world and our responsibility and opportunity of that. Okay. I really think being part, being a man of God, puts a special burden on us for the world. I think that's just part of it. Um, I really, real, I recognize that I don't have a lot to teach most of you in this particular area. I have a lot to learn from many of you, no. Um, and really, you know, like Paul said, we come to mutually give and receive a blessing. And it's been a tremendous blessing for me to be here and to listen and learn from some of you guys. Um, Osvaldo and his friends are doing it in Canada. Johan and his friends are doing it in Belgium. Rune and friends are doing it in Norway. Many people are doing it in other countries, including Europe and, and including Sweden. But I really think we need to take on all of Europe. Amen. I really do. I think it's Europe's time. Let me explain my, my interpretation of history. Sweden, Norway... For many years, and particularly Sweden, for many years, a long time ago, was the country that sent out more Christian testimony to the world than any other country. Amen. A very small country. God raised up many missionaries. Some of them came to Chile. We still have uh, the Swedish Pentecostal Church in Chile. 
as a result of that period of time. It was like the golden age for the Swedish church. And it wasn't just the expression, the external expression. The internal expression of this nation was totally different. There was a majority of Christianity within the population. Churches grew all over. And, and I've been in some of those churches, and, and you still see a testimony even though in some cases it's only physical, but a testimony of those times when Sweden was really, uh, many, of its, many of its people, a lot of the population was really close to the Lord and were listening to what God said when it was time to send people out. And they had them all over. And so then, as usually happens, time passed, and Sweden got farther away, farther away, farther away, and became, when I grew up as a kid, became famous for being a very sinful nation with a promiscuous uh, reality that was exported through movies and song, and uh, the testimony of the nation changed. But I think it's coming back. I think it's coming back. And I don't think it's just Sweden. I think it's Europe's time. And I have some specific reasons for saying so. I know that the United States was there for many years, but it is in frank decline. We cannot, there are so many things that are taking place in the United States that we cannot find God in it, even though it's under the name of the church. He's just not there. And I think there are other countries that we're closer to that are also falling away. But I see this pattern happening to where after a period of falling away, it's like in Israel with the judges. Do you remember the story of the judges? How they were close to God and then they drifted and then he sent men and brought them back. I think it's Europe's time coming back this European men's conference has been wonderful been tremendous yesterday's message was a jewel a message as I said earlier needs to be dissected and digested very very important And I think the power groups have also been extremely powerful. I think the fellowship has been rich and full. And I'm ready for another European conference. Maybe, maybe next week? <laughs> Can you work that out, Danielle? <laughs> it's been tremendous. And I really am very, very, very appreciative. But I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to remind us what the real purpose is behind all of this. There's a greater purpose behind everything God does for us. God wants godly men. But it's got to have a purpose. It goes beyond just being godly men. Definitely starts there. But it goes beyond that, much beyond it. God heals us so that we can heal. God heals his church so they can heal the nations. God gives us light and understanding so that we can be the light. I mean, isn't it, doesn't it? Curious to you that Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and then later he says, you are the light of the world? I mean, there's something in that dynamic that's even for us today. Absolutely. We have to understand. He saves us so that we can show the world how to be saved. There's always that so that clause in what God is doing. Our place, brothers, is in the world.
This is wonderful, and I want to do it again. And the church needs each other, and we need to be together. We need to have this. This has been so encouraging. There's some people here that are going to go back to their homes with a new zest, a new zeal, a new desire to go on. There are people who are here who have been healed. There are people here who have had, and that is fabulous. That is only God working. That is only God working. Nobody's done this. <laughs> Thank goodness. Nobody's done this. This is God's working. But God wants the world, wants the church in the world. The church wants to be in the cozy church. Because it's very comfortable. And I like it too. <laughs> yeah. And that's good. Because God wants the church to come together. Because together we form a home that welcomes the adopted. You understand where I'm going with that? The church exists as a family to receive the newborns and receive them in a very good, solid context, a place where they've never lived before, where there is love, where there is peace, where there is faith, where there is healing, where there's acceptance, where there are fathers and mothers that care for them. Like we heard in the testimony last night. Yeah. That's great. That's what God wants. That's what he wants. God is calling every man and woman to be a part of his unshakable kingdom through his unspeakable grace. Yeah, God is calling every man and woman to be a part of his unshakable kingdom through his unspeakable grace that we heard about yesterday. We are the channel of that grace. We are the channel of that grace. God loves the world. He always has. And he won't give up. He's tenacious. He won't give up. And he's placed his love for the lost and a dying world in our hearts by and through the Spirit. To where not only can we read John 3.16 and saying that God loves the world. We can read that with an understanding that we too love the world. We don't love the things of the world. No. no. We love the world. Jesus, when he's talking in John 17, he's praying and he's saying, I'm sending you to, and the better way to translate this in the text is to those of the world. Just like my father sent me, I'm sending you, is what he said. Or did he not? Yeah. This is our job. This is part of being remade into the image of Christ. Taking on his mission. Tremendous, no? <laughs> The gospel of Christ is the embodiment of God's love. The gospel of Christ is the embodiment of God's love. For God so loved the church. <laughs> Text doesn't say that. Now we know God loves the church. <laughs> that's, that's a given. Huh? He didn't even need to write that in there. The church, that's his son's bride. Wow. 
How is he not going to love his son's own bride? Of course he does. But the text, Jesus came to reveal a new thing. To reveal a new thing. God loves the world. Those people that are hard for us to love, God loves them. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's hard for me to see how God loves and blesses somebody else and not me. God loves your unbelieving wife. God loves your wayward children straying away as he loves them deeply. God loves your neighbor even though your neighbor doesn't love you nor God. But he does. God loves him. God loves the people you work with, live with, play with, travel with every day. Even the ones that you're angry with. He loves them. God loves Norwegians, Swedes, Finns, Germans, Russians, and Ukrainians, Spanish and Portuguese, Chinese and Chileans. Yeah, God loves all the peoples of the world. God loves Catholics and Orthodox, Protestants and Evangelicals, Mormons and Muslims. He loves them. God loves the world, the whole world. All of the world. And that's where we come in. Because you see, God left himself only one recourse. He left himself only one recourse to communicate this love, this grace to the world. Recourse. Recourse is option, yeah. And that is you and me, his children. The Holy Spirit was given for this reason. To equip men to be, test, to be witnesses to the world. Later the Holy Spirit was given and, and, and really manifest itself in the church. And, and Paul has to write to kind of put that in order and everything else. But the original reason, Acts 1, for the giving of the Holy Spirit was to be witnesses Amen. in the world. Amen. Anything the Holy Spirit can do in the church, he can do in the world. Amen. And does. And does. He heals people in the parks. He delivers people in their homes. He gives words of knowledge that opens hearts. All in the world. And in the church. The only ministry mentioned in the New Testament, this might blow some of you away, please don't get too angry. The only ministry mentioned in the New Testament is the ministry of reconciliation. Recon reconciliation. God reconciling the world to himself. I don't know if you were aware of that. The church has developed tons of ministries. I've heard, I, I'd like to make a list sometime of all the ministries I've heard about in the church. I don't think they're bad, but they're not in the Bible. And yet the one ministry that's in the Bible seems to be the area the church is the weakest in. Now, what do you do with that? The ministry of reconciliation. The 
the purpose of the apostolic ministry comes from this. Jesus lived with them and then sent them out to the world. The entire extension of the kingdom was placed on their shoulders. And I contend that the purpose of the house church is to reach the world. Is to reach the world. Reach our neighbors. Reach the people we meet on the street that are walking by the house. I'm convinced of it. And I'm convinced that that is a, that that is a group, that is a solid body of believers that are capable of receiving people from the street regardless of the condition they're in or regardless of how long they have to wait for their conversion. I'm convinced of it. A few years before the pandemic, and I don't, I don't like to be, I don't like to use myself as a reference, but I've had some, I've had some experiences that I really, uh, I just want to share them, but take them because they're, they're from God. It doesn't have, it really doesn't have anything to do with us. Uh, <laughs> so much so that people, when I go back to the United States, ask me, what do you, what, what, what do you do in Chile? What's your testimony? What's, what's been happening in Chile all these years? In my experience, my answer has been for years and will always be the same. If you want to know the truth, I don't do anything. I watch God do everything. God's done a lot of things. Now, if you want me to tell you what he's doing, we can talk for a long time. But be real honest with you. We haven't done anything. But just before the pandemic, I received this vision from the Lord. It was, and some of you know this, it was a, it was a Portuguese guy uh, in this vision. And uh, I was actually in my daughter's house in Germany. And I was just ready to fall asleep when this guy appears in my room. And he says, come and help us. I'd only been to Portugal once in my life before that invitation of a, of a brother from Brazil who subsequently died. Um, and God just used that guy to get me into Portugal the first time. And then Osvaldo went on to be with the Lord. And then I got this vision. And in that vision, it was really an interesting... <laughs> It was an interesting situation. You know, sometimes God has a, a real sense of humor, you know. It just seems like uh, things just don't quite add up. I mean, we were ready to retire, and he says, and sends us on to a new field, a new culture, a new people, a new language, a new continent. And I can tell you one thing. We love God. And God loves Europe. And he'll use anybody who's available to accomplish his goals. When I had that vision, he gave me a word. <laughs> and, and this was the word I saw myself in the vision. This was the word I was supposed to take to everybody that I saw in Portugal. You know what that word was? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And I heard that text. 
And I knew that that was the message, not only behind the call, but that was the message to be communicated. God's love for the world. You know, I've learned a few things there since then. People don't want to hear about your church. <laughs> Truth of the matter is they couldn't care less about the church. In fact, uh, our experience in Portugal with talking with many people is that people don't like the church. They don't trust the church. They don't believe in the church anymore. They criticize the church. They don't want to belong to a church. And that's fantastic. <laughs> because our message isn't about the church. And every time we started a conversation, almost invariably, they'd start talking about the church and they'd tell me all the bad things that they thought about the church. And when they got done, I, I just said, yeah, I kind of agree with you. But you know what? I didn't come to you to talk about the church. I came to talk to you about Jesus. And you know, of all the people we talked to, only one person refused to talk to me. No, I have, a, I have an easy way in. I, this is easy for me, huh? I'm, a, I'm, I'm from outer space, right? Okay. And so I, I come up to him and I say, uh, hey, hi. You know, uh, I give him my name and I say, um, I'm, I'm learning Portuguese. Uh, and I need somebody to practice with. You got a few minutes. And the interesting thing about the Portuguese, and I discovered this just through trial and error, they like to talk to foreigners. <laughs> they like to talk to foreigners. So we only had one that said no. Yeah. And in the middle of the conversation, God always gives us the opportunity to give the message. We have prayed for people. We have... It's, um, given advice, counsel to people. We have had interesting conversations with people just with this, with this mindset. We have the greatest love message of all time, Amen. the greatest revelation since creation. God loves the world. That's the greatest revelation since creation. Jesus came to, to tell us that. While in Portugal last year, uh, we talked to people from, obviously, Portugal, Brazil, Angola, Mozambique, Morocco, Afghanistan, India, Egypt, Switzerland, Germany. We talked to a politician, a doctor, to engineers, to businessmen, writers, and waiters and waitresses, students, security guards, and a park guard. All about the love of God. And I wrote them all down. Now I even have their names of all of these people. Europe's not closed. Because I did the same thing in Norway. With the girl at the, at the counter at the hotel. From Sri Lanka. Yeah. My brother's. God loves those people. God loves those people. And love casts out all fear. There is no fear. God loves those people. And, and uh, what we have to do is just make ourselves available. And I, and I, and I want to I share this, uh, this thing too. Um, if we just become available, God will do everything else. While we were there, we had a very interesting thing. One day we were walking into this, and I, I told this to Rune and the guys at, uh, in DNA in, in uh, Denmark. We were walking into, oh, well, you have to understand the context, first of all. Kathy and I uh, were not old, <laughs> but we were older than everybody else that was living in this university uh, residence where we were staying. They were all university students, or recent graduates that were still there working okay and so obviously we are kind of on display right we're why are these old people living in this dorm room you know i mean and they were literally i mean the place was full of students 
and we were the only ones there. And so that weren't students. And so this one guy comes up to us and says, hey, uh, I, my name is Saki. Huh? What's your name? I said, oh, my name is Jerry. This is Kathy. Oh, I'm glad to meet you. Uh, and, and do you live here? Yeah, we do. Oh, that's interesting. And, uh, and what are you doing? And the conversation started. He started it. I didn't. He started the conversation. And finally, we decided, well, let's invite this guy out for a cup of coffee. And so we did. And we went to a little place there in the, in the city there in Porto. And um, we started talking to him. He's from Afghanistan. He's a Muslim. He's running away from the Taliban. He was actually in Portugal because he went as a translator for a, for a women's soccer team. And while he was in Portugal, he defected. And the country allows him to stay, but still hasn't given him refugee status. And so he's kind of running from the Taliban and kind of running from... <laughs> but he did finally achieve status as a student, which allows him to stay in the country. And so we were talking to him that night, and he was... And I gave him the message. And the interesting thing was, he wanted to make contact again afterwards. And I said, fine, great. So one day we were in the, res the student residence hall, and he was, in the, he was in the living area that they have. They have two living areas and a study area. He was in there, and he saw us, and he said, hey, come on in. Come on in. So we, my wife was there that night, and she, went, she started talking to him. And... Um, I was doing something else. I don't remember what I was doing. But anyway, she came back to the room. She said, hey, you remember Saki? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just had a long conversation with him. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And a little bit later, I run into a, a girl who came into the residence on a bicycle. And she's obviously Muslim. She's wearing the whole, the whole thing. You know, I mean, she, and she was very friendly. And she says, oh, who are you? And so I said, well, finally... We made enough of these informal contacts to where the Muslim students at this university residence invited us to a dinner. They used the living area of the residence and made a Moroccan dinner just for us and invited us to go. And I thought, wow, this is okay, huh? Now, you have to understand, this is not in my playbook. Okay, I wasn't going this way. I was there to work with Portuguese, right? But they invite us to dinner, and yeah, it was really good. It was a Moroccan dinner. And it started off with their Muslim prayers and the, the whole thing. You know, I mean, just like, just like they do. And we had a wonderful night, and I, I kind of took control of it, of the situation, because I wanted to find out about them, so I just started asking them questions. I just started grilling them with all kinds of questions. I wanted to know about the Muslim community. And I asked them all kinds of questions. I got a real education then. It was fantastic. It really was. And uh, we were there for a long time. Food was great. The fellowship was fantastic. And I say fellowship, you're, you know, Muslims and Christians, but yeah, there, there, was, there was still, there was a lot of sharing going on. And so Kathy got this wild idea, my wife, she, after it was all over, she said, hey, Jerry, now we need to invite them to a Latin meal. So she goes, and literally, I mean, she scoured that city looking for uh, food from Latin America. She was, she was originally looking for food from Chile. There wasn't any food from Chile. We did find some from Brazil and some from Argentina. And so we put together best we could. We had churros, and we had uh, empanadas, and we had uh, all kinds of great, I mean, it was, it was really good, you know, and we had uh, ensalada chilena, and we had, uh, we had all kinds of things. And, and so we invite all these people, all of these same students, to our dinner. And in fact, in fact they had invited more people. They had some from some other countries that night. And uh, so I started, I said, oh, but, but wait a minute. We also start our meal with a prayer. Huh? But I didn't understand their prayer because it was recorded and it was in their language, but they understood my prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. I prayed to God, but they were listening. And I knew that. 
And as soon as I was done praying, you're not going to believe what happened. I mean, their eyes were like this. And they started asking questions. We spent the whole rest of the night answering their questions. We preached them the gospel. The entirety of the gospel. We talked to them. We talked to them. I, I, in, in, my, in their experiences, I mentioned the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that? They said. So I got a chance to talk about that as well. It was a wonderful night. It lasted for a long time. Since then, Saki, the original, asked me for a Bible. One of his questions to the whole group while we were there that night was, he literally asked all of them, he says, if I were to change religion, what would happen to me? He was asking the Muslims. Huh? Since then, he's asked, he asked for a Bible. I got together. I gave him the Bible. Showed him how to start reading it. He did. Another young man, a guy from Morocco, one night knew from a conversation that I was having with the guard that I was going to go out for a walk that night. As he was going past, he heard me tell the guard that I was going to go out for a walk. He went out and waited for me so that we could walk together. He had more questions. With the same girl that, we had, that I had met earlier, she continued contact with Kathy. And you know, I find this so interesting. When these, the ones that we maintain most of the contact were with the Moroccans. When have you ever seen the Moroccan soccer team in the semifinals? We were even able to use that to continue the contact with them. This wasn't in our plans at all. You see, Europe is not only full of Europeans. It's a cosmopolitan continent. And we have opportunities that we have no way of knowing. Only God does this kind of thing. When we go back to Portugal, one of the things that we are going to do is I'm going back to that university residence, not to live, but to offer, as I'd already mentioned it, and they're very designed, offer English conversation times. Because they all want to improve their English. And I'm going to get to set the topics. <laughs> what do you think about that? Yeah. God loves the world. He loves those Muslims. He loves those Portuguese. But he loves the people in your nation too. Brothers, a true man of God carries on the business of God. And that business is in the world. Amen? Thank you.